Thank you very much. Oh my. What, what a privilege and joy it is to be here having done this before. Uh, who wouldn't want to come back to serve you to, and add my voice to your singing uh, as well as the privilege and joy of preaching God's word. My only challenge this morning was maintaining the speed limit um, because I was so excited about being here with you and, and I must acknowledge I, I did not. I did not maintain this feeling. Um, and who wouldn't want to preach to you because you are so attentive and responsive to God's word. So thank you for the warm welcome as a church that you extend. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm a huge fan of your lead pastor. Uh, I, I think Brad, in, in my experience, so I've been in ministry now, oh, could it be, yes it is, some 45 years. Uh, and... I find your lead pastor, uh, a, in my experience, a rare combination of, of humility and compassion, um, discernment, theological discernment, uh, courage, a pronounced gift of leadership, but then he also extends his friendship, and it's been a gift from God that he has adopted me as a friend, and because he has, I've met you. How rich am I? So, thank you very much. Please turn in your Bible to the first letter of Peter, chapter 1. And the title of this message is Your Unusual Story. And I'm very grateful that your lead pastor gives me permission to preach a different message each service because that's my preference I don't know how he preaches the same message three times each and every Sunday. Uh, well, I do. It's grace. First Peter chapter 1, what I'm about to read to you, beginning in verse 10. Listen. These are the very words of God himself. And God himself is kindly addressing us through the reading of his word. So, let's all listen up. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. When I'm asked to name a historical hero, my answer, like so many pastors, is the 19th century British pastor, 
Charles Spurgeon. So I'm always looking for anything and everything written by the man or about the man so I can learn all I can from the man. And Christian History Magazine devoted an entire issue to the life and ministry of Mr. Spurgeon. And one article that immediately caught my attention was titled, A Collection of True and Unusual Facts About Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Unusual facts like these. Spurgeon first read Pilgrim's Progress at age six and went on to read it over 100 times. Before he was 20, before he was 20, Spurgeon had preached over 600 times. Spurgeon once addressed an audience of 23,654 without a microphone or any mechanical amplification. The New Park Street Church in London invited Spurgeon to come for a six-month trial period, but Spurgeon asked to come for only three months because, in his words, the congregation might not want me, and I do not wish to be a hindrance. When Spurgeon arrived at the New Park Street Church in 1854, the congregation had 232 members. By the end of his pastorate 38 years later, that number had increased to 5,311. Altogether, 14,460 people were added to the church during Spurgeon's tenure. The church was the largest independent congregation in the world. Charles Spurgeon is history's most widely read preacher, and today there is available more material written by Spurgeon than by any other Christian author, living or dead. And then, then there was this true and unusual fact. One woman was converted through reading a single page of one of sermon, Spurgeon's sermons that was wrapped around some butter she had bought. Well, to say the least, salvation came to this woman in a most unusual way. What a story that woman had to tell. So, my Christian friend, let me ask you, how did salvation come to you? Now, many of you would probably be quick to say that you, eh, you don't really have an unusual story of conversion. You don't have an unusual story to tell like this woman would tell. And perhaps you even find yourself this morning just desiring, oh, I, I would desire a story like hers. Perhaps you might even find yourself this morning envying her. But what if I told you? What if I told you this morning that you need not envy this woman? You need not envy the woman who was converted reading a single page of one of Spurgeon's sermons wrapped around some butter she had bought. What if I told you this morning you need not envy this woman because if you are a Christian, your story of how salvation came to you is in fact a most unusual story, a most unusual story with historical roots dating back centuries and a story that presently, listen, a story that presently provokes cosmic interest, 
A story that should remind you of God's personal, particular affection for you. A story that should leave you amazed at your privileged status as part of the people of God. A story that should freshly impress upon you the grace of God that you didn't deserve and intensify your gratefulness to God as a result. If you are a Christian, your story is a stunning story. The story of how salvation came to you is a stunning one, just stunning. And in verses 10 through 12, Peter cares for the original readers, caring for the original readers in the midst of their painful trials of persecution for their faith. He cares for them by reminding them of how salvation came to them. So Peter tells them their story. And in doing so, he tells our story as well. If you're a Christian this morning, this is your story. This is your story. Verse 10, concerning this salvation. It's a reference to the salvation he has been articulating and celebrating from the outset of this letter. And Peter then proceeds to describe how this salvation came to them, how they have been served by others, starting with the prophets. This salvation, their salvation came to them because others have served them. And his introduction of those who have served them begins with the prophets of the Old Testament. Point one, the prophets. The prophets. Verse 10 and verse 12a. Verse 10, the prophets. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And by the way, take special note of the word yours because he's telling their story. And by implication, if you're a Christian, he's telling your story. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. So take special note of the word you. Take special note of the word yours. Take special note of the word you. He's telling their story. God himself is telling your story if you are a Christian. Peter informs the original readers that their story of salvation, their privileged status as Christians, as the people of God, came to them, listen, came to them because God employed the Old Testament prophets, all of them, to serve them. Ultimately, the prophets of old weren't serving their, listen, they weren't serving their contemporaries. They weren't serving ultimately their contemporaries when they prophesied of the promised Messiah to come. No, you know they were serving? They were serving the original readers of Peter's letter. And all those guys, they were serving us as well. Oh my, my, just ponder that with me for just a moment. If you're a Christian, the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, name them one by one. They were all serving you. They were all serving you. Salvation came to you because of them and through them. And when you adopt this perspective of the prophets, it will transform how you read the prophets. So let, let's just briefly consider one obvious and compelling example of this. So some 700 years, some 700 years before the incarnation of the Son of God, the prophet Isaiah 
was serving the original readers. The prophet Isaiah was serving every Christian seated here today and every non-Christian as well. When he wrote, when he peered by the Spirit of God into the future and wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, that, that familiar prophecy from Isaiah 53, that wasn't inspired by Isaiah's intuition or his imagination. No, Peter informs us that this was inspired by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ within Isaiah. And like all the prophets, Isaiah, he, he searched and he inquired carefully. He searched and inquired carefully about the person and the timing of it all. When, when, when was this going to happen? No doubt Isaiah wondered and desired, is this going to happen in my generation? Am I going to see this come to pass? These, these prophecies no doubt created a curiosity for these guys. So they tried to figure out the timing of their fulfillment. Understandably, the prophets wanted to know when their predictions would be fulfilled and would they be alive to see their fulfillment so they could foretell the grace that was to come through the Messiah and they could foresee the coming of the Messiah, but they could not perceive exactly when this would occur. And the Lord revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. But you, the original readers, and by implication, each of us this morning. Listen, what was that like to receive that news from the Lord? Like you're Isaiah, and you get 53, you get chapter 53, and you're writing that out. What's it like to have added to that the Lord himself saying to you, not in your lifetime. You're like 700 years early. What, what would that be like? What would it be like to foretell it? Divinely inspired, foretelling, divinely inspired in your foreseeing. But when you say, and, and what about me? And the Lord says, oh, you'll be dead. Oh, that's, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, let me break this news to you. I don't know how to do this gently, tactfully. You're not serving yourself right now. Oh, who am I serving? Sinners like you and me. Peter is informing the original recipients that the great and the revered prophets like Isaiah they were called by God to serve them. And they, they, listen, the original readers have experienced, listen, they've experienced what the prophets longed to experience. Isaiah longed to experience what the original readers, in fact, had experienced. And what you and I, by the grace of God, have experienced 
And by the way, that, 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 should, that should humble the original readers and it should impress upon them their privileged status as the people of God. Listen, no wonder, no wonder Jesus said to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets longed to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the original readers have experienced something that the many prophets longed to experience, but they couldn't. And Jesus says that they are unusually blessed as a result. And we, if you're a Christian, have experienced something the prophets longed to experience, but never did experience. So, brothers and sisters, we sit here today unusually blessed as well. The, the prophets, they, they lived in the time of prophetic hope. They live in a time of prophetic hope. You and I, oh, how good is this? You and I live in the time of prophetic fulfillment. We live in fulfillment time. Given my choice, which time would you like to live in? I'm taking fulfillment time. <laughs> I choose option two, fulfillment time. You and I have this unspeakable privilege of living, listen, living in the day of fulfillment, not just the day of expectation. Isaiah died with a heart filled with expectation and anticipation. You and I, by God's grace, will die with a heart anticipating the fulfillment of what we've already experienced in fullness. And so Peter describes for the original readers their story. This is your story. This is how salvation came to you. The prophets have served you. The prophets served you. Pick a prophet. Pick a prophet that's your hero. He was serving you. It's the story of the original readers, and it is the story of each and every Christian as well. And then Peter reminds them of another way they have been served in their unusual story of salvation. Second, evangelists. Evangelists, verse 12b. Their privileged status is further impressed upon them with the reminder of those who served them by preaching the gospel to them. 12b, the things, the things that have now been announced to you, listen, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what the prophets foretold has now been fulfilled in Christ and this message of salvation has come to them through those who preach the good news to them by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Oh my, how good is this? Look, the same spirit that inspired the prophets in their predictive role empowered those who preached the gospel to the original readers. So, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ, they were being proclaimed throughout the Roman world by apostles and evangelists and, oh, let's add as well, rank and file Christians. And the original readers were served not only by the prophets, they were also served by those who announced the gospel to them. Again, 12b, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Again, keep taking special note of the word you. 
He's telling their story. And if you're a Christian, he's telling your story as well. This is their story. They were served. All of the original readers were served by someone who announced the good news of salvation to them. And by the way, if you are a Christian, your experience and your story is no different. Someone cared enough about you. Someone cared enough about you to serve you by announcing the good news of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed. They announced that to you. Every Christian here has that in common. You got your own story, do you not? Could be parents, could be friend, could be preacher, could be stranger. Perhaps even a page of a sermon that wrapped a stick of butter. Somebody shared the gospel with you and everyone here who's a Christian. You have a unique story to tell, a unique story to tell of how salvation came to you through someone who served you with the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we must never forget this aspect of our story. We must never forget this aspect. And if it's been a while, get back to that individual or individuals and tell them, thank you. Thank you so very much for caring enough about me to come share the good news. Every Christian has individuals who, who over a period of time prayed for you, cared about you, persevered with you, shared the gospel with you, and eventually their service of you resulted by the grace of God in your salvation. And so in this life and the life to come, we should always have a special place of gratefulness in our hearts for those people as the invaluable means of grace they have been to our lives. And oh, by the way, with Easter coming up in just a few weeks and that wonderful announcement card, I love your announcement card because it provokes curiosity. What is going on at this church? The death of death, that, that's now, first of all, it's true, that's what's most important, but it can provoke curiosity. Listen, there are people in this geographic area who are waiting for kind people like you who have been humbled, who understand your story from this passage. They are waiting for you to approach them and care enough to invite them so that you might be one of those who serves them in their ultimate experience of salvation. And it just, other than your own salvation, my friends, doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any better than that. What's great is when you're in a local church like this, you're not evangelizing isolated from the church. You're not evangelizing alone. No, you're evangelizing. The whole, we're all doing this together. There's a few thousand of us doing this together. What a gift. What a gift. So whose life will you be intersecting with over the next few weeks? People that maybe you've just, well, you don't even see them anymore. They're just there. Maybe you've tried to invite them in the past. Now, they just exist. You don't have any faith for them. You don't even think about them. Oh, your story? <laughs> you should look up from this passage and say, Whoo, 
who, who else does this potentially apply to in my relational world? Go ahead. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Establish a friendship with them. Invite them. I dare you. <laughs> Everyone here has a unique story to tell of how salvation came to you. Can I tell you mine just briefly? Can't resist. And I'd love to hear yours. Come afterwards. Tell me your story. Grew up in a family where we, we just all began participating in competitive sports from a very young age. Loved sports. Still love sports. At six, I was already competitively swimming. Loved, played football, basketball, baseball. That, that was my world. Sadly, to my shame and the influence of those older than me played a role, but I'm ultimately responsible. I was introduced to the drug culture at, at an early age at the time, and, and I, I was captivated by it immediately and gave myself to it. Gave, to my shame, gave myself to all manner of partying. I, I loved sin. I didn't just prefer sin. I didn't like sin occasionally. I loved it. I loved it and immersed myself into all manner of sin. I wanted it all, and not only did I want it all, I wanted to recruit others to participate with me. I was thought of as cool. Turns out, I was a total fool. Total fool. Deceived by sin. Grew up in a nominally Catholic family. Had no category for gospel, Bible, Protestant church. If you'd come up to me and said, what is the gospel? I, 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 honestly, I would have been clueless. I never read the Bible, never opened the Bible. Rebelled from all things Catholicism at an early age, around 12. Uh, and then, do you know what? One of those friends who actually introduced me to the drug culture and all manner of sin, he moved away. He moved away to Florida, and somehow in Florida, he wandered into a church like this. He heard the gospel. He experienced the new birth. Within two weeks, if memory serves, he purposed, I'm going back to the Washington, D.C. area where he lived previously, where I lived, and I'm going back with one purpose. I'm going to share the gospel with all of my friends. And he wisely did not tell any of us. <laughs> really wise of him. That, that, I mean, that's unusual wisdom at two weeks old in the Lord. To not inform us, alert us, because we, we would not have been welcoming. Instead, I found myself in a room with him. Just him. I pulled out all my stash, which included all manner of hallucinogenics, and I, I began to smoke hash, offered it to him, initially surprised that he declined, but I wasn't deterred, so I smoked away. And you know what he did? He shared the gospel with me. I'm there, total fool, object of God's wrath. And he starts sharing the gospel. Now listen, he's only been a Christian a few weeks. This is not an informed theologian sitting across from me. Okay. But he knew 1 Corinthians 15. 
He knew that Christ had died for sinners like me. And he told me something that no one had previously told me. And brothers and sisters, in that moment, after he shared the gospel, I can tell you, I was, I was reformed experientially long before I was reformed theologically because God acted on my soul. And I experienced the new birth. And I turned from my sins and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. That night, and nothing, now listen, you're... Don't compare your testimony to mine. I'm going to keep bringing you back to this. This is what matters. Not, not the woman who got converted from the page of Spurgeon's sermon, wrapped in butter. Not, not mine. You're, you're not to sit there with envy. I'm just trying to bring to your attention that it, that friend served me by making that trip in order to share the gospel with me. I'm not standing here screaming and yelling at you if he didn't do that, okay? Not happening, but he did it. He did it. Bob ventured out, shared the gospel. My life was immediately and dramatically changed. There was nothing gradual about it. I, the, the, my relational world awakened the next day clueless about what had happened to me and they were not prepared for it as I announced what had happened to me and certainly lacked some wisdom at times in how I informed them. I was zealous. I cared. I wanted to do what this friend had done. I wanted to serve them with the gospel. So when we read this and we think about the people who came into our lives, it should humble us. It should humble us and it should amaze us. It should intensify our gratefulness to God because this is how salvation came to us. And humanly speaking, this, this is the only explanation for our newly privileged status as the people of God. And most importantly, most importantly, we have been served by God himself. God himself. Point three, God himself. Because behind the prophets who prepared the way and behind the preachers who proclaimed the gospel to them, behind it all, behind it all was God himself revealing his love for his people by actively serving his people. Listen, most importantly this morning, oh, this is what I pray. This is what I've prayed as I prepare, this is what I prayed on the way up here. This is what I prayed just moments ago. I want you to feel God's love. God wants you to feel his love. He wants you to feel his personal, particular affection for you as you contemplate his role in salvation coming to you and to me. And so notice in just three verses, we have two references, count them, two references to the Spirit of God. So verse 11, you've got the Spirit of Christ. So that's a reference to the Spirit of God testifying in and through the prophets to the suffering and subsequent glories of Christ. That would be centuries before the coming of Christ. But it reveals the love of Christ for sinners like the original readers and each of us this morning. So the Spirit of Christ testified to the sufferings of Christ centuries before those sufferings. And our, our friend John Piper just helps us to understand and, and to feel what this means and what this reveals when he writes the following. 
the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating the sufferings of Christ. John writes, which means that Christ, oh, read this carefully, because it helps you understand the text. The Son of God in heaven has been contemplating his suffering and his death for us for centuries. Indeed, as far back as the plan of salvation reaches in the mind of God, so far back has Christ been willing and ready to give himself for our sins. Note the next sentence. You were not loved for just a bloody moment of sacrifice in history. You have been loved for endless ages in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners who trust in them. Oh, that's take your breath away stuff. If you are Christian, you have been loved for endless ages. Love for endless ages in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son. In the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners who trust in Him. So, my brother, my sister, this is what you must do today. You must do this. You must banish. You must banish any and every thought or doubt that calls into question His love for you. Banish it. This verse has this, should have this banishing effect on every doubt about the Father and the Son's love for you. Anything that calls into question his love for you, this is the answer to it right there. And it has the banishing effect. Banish it. You must banish it. And then there's a second reference to the work of God the Spirit in their salvation. Again, verse 12, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, which appears to be appears to be a reference to Pentecost and would obviously be informed by the personal experience of Peter having been present and participating on that historic day in the purpose of God for the church. So the Holy Spirit was sent and the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven so that salvation might be revealed through those who announced it to the original recipients of Peter's letter and to each of us as well. So, listen, the same Spirit, the same Spirit that was at work in the prophets was at work or sent from heaven when the gospel was proclaimed to you resulting in your salvation. Peter is revealing to us here, here's the backstory. Here's the backstory of your conversion. In case you weren't aware of the backstory, in case you might have overlooked the backstory, here's the backstory of your salvation. And I'm happy to announce this morning that the Spirit of God is presently in this very place at work doing this once again as I have this distinct privilege of proclaiming the good news that Christ suffered in the place of sinners in order to save sinners from wrath and save sinners for God. So my prayer this morning is that the proclamation of the gospel accompanied by the Spirit results in the salvation of my non-Christian friends sitting here right now, this day. And not only are there two references to the unique work of God the Spirit, there, there is, of course, a reference, verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Oh, my goodness. The, the, the verse, it's, it's, it, it just ends up having like a tsunami effect. 
So, so we've been served by the prophets, and then we've been served by modern-day individuals who preach the gospel to us. Ultimately, we've been served by God himself. We've been served by the Spirit of Christ. And now Peter says, and you've been served by the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You have been served, I have been served by the sufferings of the Son of God. So you got to note, you got to pay careful attention in this verse. Listen, the Son of God received the sufferings. Notice plural. Son of God received the sufferings. What do we receive? Oh, you're bright. You know. We got grace. He got sufferings. We got grace. Verse 10, who prophesied about the grace. Who prophesied about the grace that was to be whose? Yours. They prophesied about grace that was to be yours. Son of God. The Son of God hung suspended between heaven and earth in my place condemned he stood. He hung there suspended bearing in his body the full weight of God's righteous and legitimately furious wrath against our sin. Eventually he became humanly unrecognizable and cried out to the Father in that God-forsaken moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow, without severing the unity of the Trinity, God the Father forsook his Son as he poured out his wrath against our sin upon his Son. So that his Son, was forsaken. Why? Why did it? Why? What's going on here? Here's why. He was forsaken so that you and I might be forgiven. He was forsaken so that you and I might never be forsaken. What's he doing hanging there? This is what he's doing. He's serving. He's serving sinners. He's serving sinners like you and me. That's what he's doing. Not love you? Feel his personal passion affection for you. Son of God served you in a way that only he could by dying in our place for our sin. That's the backstory to your salvation. But now, listen, Peter isn't done yet. He is not done yet. And I'm sure you noticed in our initial reading, he adds things into which angels long to look. Even the angels, listen, 
Even the angels long to look into the salvation of the original readers. Do you think the angels long to look any less today into your salvation? No. So what the Old Testament prophets saw from afar the angels long to look into. Now I'm, I'm I'm proceeding with an assumption. I'm proceeding with an assumption that this concluding phrase in verse 12, I, I'm, I'm assuming it captured your attention initially. I, it provoked your curiosity as I read it. Things into which the angels long to look. In order to impress upon them their privileged status, Peter concludes by drawing their attention to the heavenly realm. So let's try to take this all in. Ready? Ready for this? The angels who have no need for salvation long to look into it. They have this holy curiosity. They not only have a holy curiosity, they have a holy delight. A curiosity, holy curiosity, a holy delight in the saving actions of God. They have this holy curiosity, delight, and wonderment in human salvation. They're pictured as intently watching, listen, intently watching the unfolding drama of redemption with an intense desire. They want to understand it. They want to understand it more fully. They're just, the angels, they are just in awe. They are in awe of what they observe. They observe the gracious work of God in reconciling sinners to himself at the cost of his son's suffering. Christ did not come for them. He did not come for the angels. He did not take on the nature of angels. He did not die for them. But man, they long to look into what has been done for sinners like you and me. And as they look, they just marvel. The angels marvel. They long to look. By the way, that's present tense. Present tense. They continuously long to look. So this isn't a brief look. This isn't just a glance. No, this is just a continuous looking. Angels are just staring right now. Just look at it. Go figure. Go figure. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They behold in wonder and awe what God has done and is doing throughout the world. John Newton wrote that the highest wonder ever exhibited to the world, to angels and men, is the Son of God suffering and dying for sinners. That's the highest wonder. You don't have to wonder. You feel like if you, like if you met or interacted with an angel after the angel told you to fear not because you would, you would just be prostrate assuming it's over for you and that would be a wise move. The, the angel would say to you, like if you said, hey, like what? Hey, like of all the mysteries of God, I mean, you've been there, you come from there, you're going back to there. Like, what do you wonder about the most? You know what that angel would say to you? You. <laughs> you, pal. How in the world are you saved? That's what we're all freaking out about, and we just... Don't understand. We 
Behold him in all his glory. Why would the Son of God become incarnate to suffer? Not just the physical pain, but the more important and excruciating pain of God's wrath for your sin. You want to know what we wonder about? Why would he do that for the likes of you, CJ? No, I, I, we need to sing Amazing Grace right now. That's, <laughs> we're going to be singing in just a minute. So think about it, because this is your story. If you're a Christian, it's your story. What the Old Testament prophets saw from afar, now, you, now you've been freshly reminded what the angels just marvel at presently. What the angels long to look into. You've actually experienced. You've experienced what Isaiah prophesied. You've experienced what those in the heavenly realm long to look into. You see, if you're, you're a Christian, here's, here's, if you're a Christian, you've experienced what no angel has experienced. And Peter's point here is that if the angels long to look into this, in other words, if the angels are fascinated by this, excited about this, well, then, well, listen, shouldn't those who are the object of this and not just onlookers to this, be amazed and thankful for this? I mean, if the, if the angels are marveling and rejoicing in the saving of sinners, well then, how much more should we, the ones who are saved, marvel and rejoice? So he, Peter is intentionally drawing their attention away from what others have done to them in maligning them and mistreating them in the persecution of them for their faith. He is protecting them from being overtaken by their grief in their painful trials or succumbing to, perhaps you're familiar with this, I certainly am, self-pity. You know what self-pity is? I'm sure you do because you are well taught. It's a form of pride. Self-pity is a form of pride where we live more aware of what others have sinfully done to us than what God has graciously done for us. That's what self-pity is. And by the way, the first 12 verses of this letter, they're all about what God has graciously done for them. And then it concludes with this reference to a heavenly fascination with it all. Peter, Peter begins this sentence actually in verse 3. Actually, Peter begins in verse 3. He doesn't take a breath until verse 12 drawing their attention to and describing for them and calling them to celebrate this great salvation. And by the way, the appropriate response to this gracious salvation, here's the appropriate response. Our appropriate response this morning, and I know you'll be eager to do this because you've already been doing it. Our appropriate response this morning is to add our voice to Peter's and declare with him, look at verse three, add our voice to Peter's and declare with him, blessed be, Oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point, appropriate. 
Because when you comprehend this gracious and magnificent salvation, it, it, it provokes heartfelt praise to God that you can and you must express to God. And we will in just a moment when we sing together again. Peter, Peter listen, what's Peter doing here? He wants the original readers, he wants us by implication to feel the wonder of salvation and how we've been served. We've been served in our salvation. And he wants us to be grateful, grateful for the prophets who long to see what we have experienced. And the angels of God long to look into what we have experienced. And so the original readers of this letter, they are being informed here that their knowledge of God's redemptive work and experience of God's redemptive work is superior to the prophets and the angels. I walk straight after contemplating this. I mean, it's just, you, you, you can't or you shouldn't be able to read this and be indifferent to it. You should, you should be freshly amazed. Brothers and sisters, of all the times to be alive in human history, of all the times to be alive, I'm telling you, it is an unspeakable privilege to be alive following the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ when the gospel is proclaimed first through the apostles and eyewitnesses and eventually through evangelists and the church. So even though the original leaders were being maligned and mistreated, even though they were being marginalized and ostracized because of the gospel, nevertheless, they enjoyed a very privileged status in comparison to both the prophets and the angels because neither the prophets nor the angels experienced and enjoyed what they experienced and enjoy as part of the church. So actually, though you are suffering, Peter is reminding them, oh, you are a privileged people. You are a privileged people because you're no longer citizens first and foremost of the Greco-Roman world, but you've become a part of the people of God. In his commentary, Peter Davids effectively captures and conveys this when he writes, however much these readers may be suffering, they stand in a position that even the greatest of the ancient prophets did not have. And my friends, so do we. And though we can and we should smile and marvel at the story of the woman who was converted by reading a page of a sermon by Spurgeon that wrapped the butter she purchased. If you are a Christian, her story, though unusual, is not superior to your story. Not superior to your story of salvation and conversion. Not if you talk to the prophets. And not if you ask the angels. Let's pray. Well, Father, my prayer is simply this, that every Christian here would have a fresh humility, a fresh marveling as we contemplate how you have served us in bringing this great salvation to us. And I pray that non-Christians would flee from their sin, having heard the gospel, so that they might experience forgiveness of sin so that this story might be their story. In Jesus' name, amen.